Are you ready? That was weak. Like, I'm glad three of you are. Let me try it again. Are you ready? All right. Awesome. Good. Uh, How many of you guys got those postcards from us? If you didn't, we don't have your address. Get it to us. We want to send you and inundate you with mail. Um, But we're excited because um, God is prepping us for the next phase of our lives. Open your Bible with me to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I don't have a PowerPoint for you this morning, but we can open our, our Bibles, our phones, our tablets, whatever you might be, wherever the Bible is, and we can read together again Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon And from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. To paint this picture for you, Joshua and about two million Israelites, and just to get an understanding of how many people that is, the population of Quincy is... About 97,000 people. So take Quincy and multiply it by 20. All right? That's how many Israelites there were. That's a lot of people. All right? And so you've got Joshua and you've got 2 million Israelites standing or camping on the east side of the Jordan. All right? Getting ready to cross this flooding Jordan River into the promised land. They have been through so much together. They have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's all come down to this moment. It's like it's this moment of truth. They're they're right there. God has been promising them this promised land. They they didn't get to inherit it initially because their lack of faith and their parents died off. And now it's them. And now finally after 40 years, here they are on the banks of the Jordan River, the promised land on the other side. And God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. You know, for me, I've probably read this millions of times, probably not millions of times, but lots of times, and and I love this passage, and I love the story of Joshua, but I always kind of glazed over the Moses is dead part until recently. You guys got the Moses is dead postcard, and you probably were like... Okay, right? Some of you know a Moses and probably called the phone, picked up the phone and said, Moses, are you okay? But Moses is dead. There's a mouthful in that. And, and, and now as I read this, I, I pause. I almost choke on that right there. I get to this and I go, man, think about how huge this is. Now, God told Moses that he was going to die, and, and, and Moses had laid hands on Joshua. So, But I struggle with this because, honestly, as I look at this, this is not a good time to pull Moses. This is not a good time to pull leadership. 
at the most critical part, at the most instrumental part of their mission. It's about to happen. And Moses, their leader of 40 years, God takes him home. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us this, that he was still in good shape. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor strength gone. I mean, maybe if Moses was feeble and getting old, I'd understand it better, right? But Moses was still in good shape. And I can imagine that these two million Israelites, along with Joshua, probably feel in the same way. I mean, they find themselves here. All they had known was Moses. In fact, they found those standing on the, on, on, on the east side or camped on the east side of the Jordan, they had been born under Moses' leadership. We don't like to change presidents. Well, sometimes we do. But what I'm saying is that we get nervous over four or eight years. Can you imagine a leader for 40 years? And then you get to the most critical point in the country And all of a sudden, there's a leadership change. That's not what we like to do, is it? That's not what we feel comfortable with. And I'm sure that the two million Israelites were right there feeling the same way. In fact, I know they were. Because what God says to Moses, I mean, what God says to Joshua is, now get ready. And if you read on, and we'll get into that in the weeks coming, he says, don't be afraid. In fact, he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. He says, don't be terrified. It's a scary thing. And so we find these two million Israelites at at the crux of this thing, and it's a defining moment for them. Everything has led up to this point, and all of a sudden, Moses is dead. See, they'd been following Moses for 40 years. They knew him. They trusted him. It was under Moses' leadership that their parents before them were freed from 430 years of slavery under Egyptian rule. It was under the leadership that they experienced the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. Where the Egyptians are kind of coming up behind them and they're stuck. And Moses stretches out his staff and the impossible happens where the seas part and they walk through. They, they experienced bitter waters being made sweet. They experienced manna, the miracle of manna, the miracle of quails. Water from a rock. It was under Moses' leadership that they were led by this pillar of fire and of cloud. They received the Ten Commandments. In fact, to try and go over everything that was accomplished in Moses, through Moses, and for these people would take a volume just to begin to cover all of it. We haven't even got to the plagues of Egypt. Locke here writes this. He says, Moses, without doubt, stands out as one of the greatest and most divinely honored men of all times. In fact, in Deuteronomy, right before we get to Joshua, after Moses dies, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10 says this, Since then, meaning since his death, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. This Moses, this phenomenal leader, this man of God is dead. And so we find Joshua and and, and two million Israelites camped out on the flooding Jordan River looking at where they need to go. And it's like God says to them in the midst of this, 
we don't read this, but this is how we can take it. In that short sentence, Moses, my servant, is dead. See, it wasn't a slight on Moses. He said, Moses, my servant. Moses, my man. Moses, the leader, is dead. It was like God was saying a mouthful in that sentence. It's kind of like he's saying, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, Moses, who you have been following for 40 years, who you have been serving... Moses, who led you through the, through the seas. Moses, who you witnessed perform so many miracles, who brought you the Ten Commandments. Moses, your great leader, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's like God removes the most valuable player at the most critical time. And judging from your faces, you don't really get it. So let me put it into terms you understand. It's Super Bowl Sunday, okay? It's the fourth quarter. The clock is ticking down, and you have the Patriots playing, and it's a tied game. And Brady is healthy, and Brady is strong, and Belichick says, pull Brady right now, put the backup quarterback in. What? No. That's not what we do. We don't do that. We get uncomfortable. Forget the last week's game, but normally we get uncomfortable, <laughs> all right? We got to, you know what? I know it takes coaching, and I know it takes teamwork, and I know they're all valuable, and I, and I know all of that, but I just feel betterer when he's on the field, especially in a crutch situation like that. Leave him out there. You know what? The other quarterback's good. He made the NFL. He has to be good, but I just feel better if Brady's out there, right? I have confidence in Brady. He can kind of read the players or read things. He has connection with them, and and he's been doing this for a while. Now multiply that feeling by a million, because this is where the Israelites are. For 40 years, this wasn't Super Bowl. This is their lives, 40 years they have witnessed the wisdom, the power, the amazing miracles, how God has used Moses in their lives. And it's at this moment of truth. Here it is. We're about to receive the promised land. Come on, God. Not now. Look, no offense. I love Joshua and I respect Joshua. But listen, nobody wants to be Joshua coming in either. Nobody wants to be the backup quarterback in that scenario because you know what? The pressure on that guy, if you mess this up, like this is how you were known. Remember that guy? Yeah, he came in. Yeah, Brady was healthy and he blew it. Who wants to be Joshua? This is the launch of his leadership. Like this is the first thing he's going to do by himself, cross the flooding Jordan River and inherit the promised land. You don't want to mess that up. That's terrifying. I hope you understand that if you've been in leadership, you can understand crutch situations like that where all of a sudden the pressure's on. And you know, we know it's there because when God tells Joshua this, Moses is dead, get ready to lead all of these people. I almost wonder why he has to put all of these people. Like he kind of emphasizes a lot of them. And then he says, do not be afraid. I think at least seven times. He says, do not be terrified. Why? Because it's terrifying. Because it's scary. 
And so this is the situation that, that we find the Israelites in. You know, sometimes we can read over and glaze over and go, oh yeah, Moses did. Come on, let's be real. When God moves in our lives and we face terrifying situations because God can put us and lead us to points where he's going to show us who he is and it can be scary. If you haven't got to a place yet in, that, in your life yet, you haven't been following God long enough or you're not actually following him. Because he will lead you to challenging places where your faith will be tested. And so we find the Israelites in this situation. Moses, this incredible man of God, this incredible leader, is, is, is dead. And God brings Joshua to this point and says, hey, listen, this is where we are. It would be easy, so easy, for the Israelites to put their confidence in Moses, right? I mean, if you look at your own life, it's so easy for us to start placing our confidences in other people. See, the question really, what, what, really what God was saying to, to Joshua at that time is, hey, Moses is dead. It was almost like he's saying, hey, who do you believe in? Who have you been following? Has this been about Moses or is this about me? It's almost like God is saying, hey, we're at this crutch position. This is this, this important part of, of, of the whole mission here. And then he says, by the way, who is your confidence in? Is your confidence in Moses or your confidence in me? And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives that we can, be, we can begin putting our confidences in God's people rather than in God. As a pastor, I experience this, and I'm not slighting this, because I know that our roles are here and they're important. You know what? But we're not God. See, I'm not the leader of this church. He is. And my job, if I'm doing my job, is to hear what he is saying and follow him. Good luck to you if I think I'm in charge. But sometimes it's easy. Sometimes people come, and I, I do understand this, so don't take this offensively, but, but sometimes it's like when people go through struggles, they just want to get to the pastor. I just need to get to that person. And, and it's like sometimes they begin to put all their confidence in that person rather than in God. And I think it's safe to say that the Israelites could have done that with Moses. Why? Because he's tangible. He's right there. He's, he's physical. We can actually touch him. And the same thing for us. But, you know, we do it. We can put our confidences in God's people rather than God. We can do it with a spiritual leader. We can do it with a counselor. We do it with teachers. We can do it with, honestly, our relationships, maybe even our spouses. And we take the very people that, have, that God has given us in our lives and we place our trust in them rather than the God who gave them to us. See, it was never about Moses, as wonderful as he was. See, it's also easy for us not just to place our confidences in God's people, but sometimes we can place our confidences in God's provision. It can be about what gave, God gave us, and sometimes we can actually take a wonderful gift from God, and we can actually elevate it above him if we're not careful. When we were missionaries... Um, on the island, we, we went down there, and we didn't have, you know, we had support from a few people, but not enough at all, and we didn't know where, uh, where the money was coming from, and, and as we look back at the end of the, of the year that we were on that island, um, it was amazing to see how God provided, but the amount of equipment that we had while living in tents for seven months was actually phenomenal. We had so much, we had better, we had better dishes and, and pots and pans in a tent than we do in our current house. All right. God provides in amazing ways. And, and although, you know, we never knew it was coming from, God always provided. The interesting thing is that when we came back, all of a sudden we had a salary. 
And now it was like, okay, thank you, God, for the salary. And my focus almost went from God to the salary. Now I've got to make this, you know, this is what God has given me. And now, and listen, we need to manage our finances and be good stewards with it. But our hope and faith and confidence doesn't need to be in that. It needs to be in who God is. But I can find myself going, oh, this is the amount. I've got to do this, this, this. And my confidence kind of shifts from God to the salary. And, oh, this is how much we have. You know, you do it too. And so many times we can take a provision that God has given us and be so focused on that and put our trust in it. We can do that with a job, finances, a skill set. You know, your spouse is a gift from God, but we can put more confidence in them and we can find our hope and our joy. Listen, that veil has been torn, folks. And there's nothing separating us from God. We can come into his presence. And, and, and while I respect and, 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 and love praying with people, listen, your hope cannot be in a person. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ. I mean, you can go to him and you can cling to him. And, and sometimes God will do things. And sometimes the, the pastor or, 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 or this person you have your hope and confidence in won't meet your needs. And you'll leave frustrated. But maybe what God is saying, no, that's intentional because you need to shift your eyes to me. And not be focused on them. Not deflating the pastoral ministry by any means. But all we do as pastors is say, well, what does God say? We deflect. We go look at God. And so it's so easy for us to put our confidences in God's provision and God's people, sometimes rather than God himself. And so we can see that God is basically, basically putting him into this checkmate position where he's saying, hey, we're going to show you who I am. Maybe your confidence has been in, in, in Moses but Moses is dead. And it's like within the, just within the next breath, Moses is dead, get ready. You know what he's saying in that? Moses is dead, but I am not. Moses is dead, but it was never about Moses. Moses, my servant. Moses, who worked for me. Moses, who was carrying out my mission and my plan is dead. But my mission is not dead, and my plan is not dead, and my purposes are not finished. Get ready. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Very clearly, he says, it wasn't about Moses, it was about me. And it was about my purposes, and it was about my plan. When I ask you this morning, before we move on, what or who are you putting your confidences in? Sometimes we can make it sound spiritual. Remember, not too long ago, we, we, we talked about this, the golden serpent that, 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 that was destroyed. God told him to destroy it. It was one that Moses had made. It, was, it actually was, people would go to it when they'd been bitten by poison snakes and get healed. And people began to worship the golden serpent. It wasn't about the golden serpent. See, we can begin to do these things. Are there areas in your life that maybe you've elevated higher than God? Not intentionally. Maybe unintentionally. Maybe we just begin to get, you know, oh, God's provision and we're honoring that. But maybe it's kind of crept and we find a security in that thing rather than the God who gave it to us. If you find yourself there, wrestle it out with God. But see, if we go back into Moses' life, see, this was never about Moses. This was about God's mission and about God's plan. See, we go back 40 years earlier before Moses died. We will find Moses sitting as a nobody in the desert. One of the commentators wrote this, and I like what he said. Moses lived for 120 years, and you can divide his years of life up into three different periods of 40 years. The first 40 years, he was under Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's son. 
And under, under Pharaoh's son, he learned to be somebody. He was important. He had an incredibly high education, right? He learned how to become important, how to be somebody. And then he killed the Egyptian who was beating the Israelite, and he ran away. And he spent 40 years in the desert learning to be nobody. Learning to be nobody. And after 40 years, he's sitting there, and, and, and then he sees this bush burning, and he comes over to it, and God engages him. And this is what God says to him. He says, I have, this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. The whole reason Moses was born was for this moment. He learned to become somebody. Before God would use him, he had to learn to become nobody. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we want to be somebody so bad. You know, there's a process. There's a pit. And if you read your scripture and you read your word, no one likes it, but it's true and it's of God. It wasn't really until Moses had learned to become nobody that God gave him the most important job of his life. And Moses would have the reputation and be used by God in ways you can never imagine. God took a nobody who was away, deserted by himself, who felt worthless and like nothing, and turned it around. In fact, we know Moses was there because Moses' response to God after God said, I am sending you, Moses says, but who am I? He learned to embrace nothingness. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And he starts looking at himself It's almost like God says, yeah, you're in the right place because you are nobody. First 40 years, he learned to be somebody. The next 40 years, he learned to be nobody. And the last 40 years of his life, he learned that God was everything and everybody. It was only by the power of God that this could be accomplished. And that's what made him such an effective leader. See, this wasn't about Moses. From the very beginning, Moses was born because God saw his people in bondage and in slavery, and he wanted to set them free. The mission and the purpose behind Moses' life was always God's. See, from the very beginning, as we, even as we celebrated communion here, God's in the business of bringing light into darkness, about setting the captives free. And this has been his mission all along. The whole reason why they were in the wilderness was because God was removing them from bondage physically, and he's been removing us from bondage spiritually forever. We're in this church today. Hopefully you're in this church because God has set you free from captivity, and he's given you life. And so this is what God does. And so at that moment, on the east side of, 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 of the Jordan, the Israelites are camped out, and Moses is dead. And you can almost imagine the uneasy, the uncomfortable feeling that's probably taking place. And we know Joshua is terrified because of what God says to him. And God says and makes it clear, this isn't about Moses. Moses is my servant. You get ready. My mission continues. I've been the one. It's like you're saying, Moses never led you out of Egypt. I did. Moses didn't deliver you from slavery and bondage. I did. This wasn't Moses' mission or purpose. It was mine. Moses is dead, but I am not. And so he says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, but I am not dead. 
and neither is my mission. Get ready. I feel like this is exactly where we are as a church. I feel like this is where we are. You asked us a while ago to put a mission, a, a, a building committee together, knowing that we've maxed out this building, knowing that we've got to do something, and, and knowing that we need a new building. And so we did that. And as we did that at the first meeting, we talked about what do we feel is, is our scripture that God's given us with this. And, and I believe it was this and uh, this passage, this whole Joshua um, spans about four or five chapters in crossing the Jordan. And the building committee confirmed it. And, and it's been amazing that as we've moved along this process, that was a long time when we, when we actually felt this way. We've actually kind of began to see almost this mirror type um, thing happening with us and what's happening with them. It's almost like God is showing us what he wants to do. It seems to become more and more real. Every time we read it, we discover new things. We go, man, that just feels like that's where we are. And so we really feel like God is speaking to us out of this passage. But we as a church have maxed this place out. When I first came um, as senior pastor a few years ago, the staff and myself decided that if there was a ministry worth doing, we were going to find a place to do it. We weren't going to basically justify not doing it by lack of space. And we committed to use every corner that we could in this building. And we have. I think every corner is being used. We are creating things that do not exist anymore. We are maxed out. God has blessed us. This isn't about, oh, let me pump glad tidings up. Let's just say this is where we are. Typically in the summertime, our numbers drop, all right? Our numbers drop. Our high numbers used to be like 220, 230 years ago. And then in the summertime, they would drop down even lower, typically July, August, because people go away on vacation and people do things. Well, our numbers this last July and August have not dropped at all. It's actually been kind of, it's a good thing, but kind of alarming. We are averaging 275. That's an average. That's not a high number. That's average. That's like taking all the numbers and putting them together and dividing them by four per month. 275 in July. I think it was 285 in August. The, the problem with that is normally we drop in the, in the summertime and we go, okay, in September we'll spring back up. We didn't drop. And we had people away. And so we're looking and going, okay, if numbers spring up by another 50, 60 people, where do we put them? Where do, they, where do they go? What do we do? You know, we've had people that have come to the church and, and for other reasons saying, well, I don't feel like the nursery is a safe environment. Or I don't feel this is a safe environment. Not by people, just because it's, we're small. We've got small facilities and they don't stay. And it breaks our hearts to go, man, people aren't staying because of facilities. Should it really be that way? And so as we look at this, we go, man, God is blessing this church. God is increasing the number. God is moving us forward. And we live in a place, God has placed us in the most unreached, unchurched part of this country. It used to be the Northwest, now it's the Northeast. God has placed us in the mission field of the United States, right here. And we are maxed out. We have people that want to come to this church, but can't. I talked to Lisa this morning. Where's Lisa? Anyway, she, she's one of our Chinese ladies. And you know what she told me this morning? She says, I have 100 people I'd like to bring here, but I can't because there's no place to put them. She goes, I have 100 people in Bible study. All right? There's someone who gets saved and goes and does something about it. And I broke my heart. This is between services. I, I got no place. Where can, where can we put them here? And I'm going, 100 people. Is that, that's not even right. There's 100 people 
that we're going, yeah, and, and, and what was said is, yeah, it's just too full. Is this the picture that God has for the church? Or are we going to say, yeah, God, well, we grew and then, you know, when we got, you know, full. And so, but we're okay. Man, it's not about us. Man, our mission is always about reaching beyond us and reaching those who do not know Christ. And so we find ourselves in this place. In fact, the truth is we have some room to grow in the sanctuary, but we have no place to grow in our kids' ministries from kids, little ones, all the way up to teens. And so we felt like God gave us this Joshua passage as, as kind of our guideline, as our scripture for our processes, how we move forward. And so... They find themselves in this situation, right? The Israelites, they're there and, and, and leadership is, 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 it dies and now it's a new season. And God was basically saying to them, hey, listen, Moses, the season of Moses, as wonderful as he was and is, is finished. And the same time as that season was coming to an end, there was also a new season beginning. There was the season of Joshua. Granted, Joshua was terrified, but God would prove himself to Joshua and in Joshua by the parting of that Jordan and then to go into Jericho and take Jericho. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his mission continues. And it wasn't about Moses. It was about God. It was about his plan. And so as we look at where we stand in reference to this, see, we feel like this church, its season it's coming, this building, not this church, this building is coming to an end. See, this church, from the very beginning of this church, this church was birthed out of an evangelistic crusade. Some, a young boy, a boy, not a man, not an adult, a, a, a boy was leading and preaching an evangelistic crusade in 1926 at the Adam Shore Community Church, not too far away from here. In fact, I praise God for the guts of this young boy because that's scary to do this at any time. Public speaking is the number one fear. You have this boy doing this, and he was hanging crutches and other things, the devices that God had healed people from behind the pulpit where he, where he was speaking and preaching. And, and you have a crusade when you're trying to reach people. That's the whole point of a crusade. We want to reach the lost for Christ. And as a witness to God's power, he was hanging the miracles, the evidences of the miracles behind him. See, God was healing people physically. And if God wants to heal you physically, he wants to heal you spiritually and emotionally as well. And so all of this was evidence of God's power to a lost and hurting and, and, and broken people. And out of that meeting from this young boy... People, a handful of people began to meet, and it was led by Nelson's father. In fact, they met at the Legion Hall in Quincy Square at that time. And that's how Glad Tidings was born. You and I are here because of that. Do you understand that outreach and missions is in our DNA? It's what birthed this church. Just as, as, as the DNA of your parents is in your blood, that is our DNA as a church. It's the reason we exist. We exist because God wanted to reach broken and lost people, people in bondage, people in captivity to him. And out of that initial crusade, glad tidings was born. And now 88 years later, do you know that we celebrated our 88th year of ministry just a couple of Tuesdays ago. In fact, we had a board meeting on that night and didn't even realize. 
that it was our 88th anniversary right then. 88 years later and 12 pastors later, the mission has not changed in this church. Under Pastor William Snow, in 1939, the church pledged to give 10% of the offering towards missions. Do you realize they hadn't even purchased the building? They were renting this one. And they, 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 they committed to give 10% of their budget towards missions. Does that sound familiar? We just did that with 1027 Projects a few years ago. And it wasn't because we went back to the history and looked it up and saw what they were doing. But it's amazing to go back to the history and look at it. Do you know that, that in 1942, three years after they did that, they actually purchased this building for $7,500? Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it was probably back then. All right? But $7,500 in the midst of giving to missions first, before they even had their own building. And God gave them a building. Reverend Vincent basically launched a concerted outreach effort to the community under his leadership. Reverend Bratchler broadcasted over the radio and he held special evangelistic services and canvassed the community to bring the gospel to the lost. It was under his ministry that the first gentleman that was African-American came to this congregation. In fact, in 1999, that gentleman was here and he stood up in the service. I wasn't here when this happened. And he said, I want you to know that I came under this pastor's um, leadership years, decades before. And he said, I was the only black man in the congregation, and I was welcomed with warm, warm and, uh, feelings and, and arms wide open. And look where we are today. We are a church with over 30 nations in it. God is awesome at what he's been doing in this church. I cannot list all the pastors, but I want to highlight a few. Reverend Hugh Corey came in and under his leadership, the church was renovated. It was him when they were growing so much. And they said, man, we have, we're out of space. We need to do something. And they determined the only thing they could do was go down because it wasn't a basement. And they dug the basement out from under this church to create space. All right? And they added classrooms. They found themselves in our situation saying, what do we do? How do we manage this? How do we grow? Because we need to have room for more people because there's a lost and hurting and broken people around us. And God has put us here. We can't let the church's fullness impact how we reach people anymore. And so they dug down. At the same time as that, they planted a church in Walpole. And they supported another church plant in Pembroke. Reverend Bill McPherson came in. In the 60s, and he too had an evangelistic heart. They bought two church buses to bring children in from Howe's Neck to Sunday school. Let me just tell you, and I love this too, because sometimes people say church is about money. Look, when you bring children in, that's costing you money. You're not making money. Children don't tithe. You know, they just eat and take. Right? If you're a parent, you know that. We love them, but that's what they do, right? But it's awesome. But I love the heart of this pastor. So I don't even, it's not about that. It's about people. It's about souls. It's about brokenness. It's about reaching the lost. And so he would do this. And do you know that under his leadership, the church missions donations grew to 30% of their budget? 30%. That is the church going, no, it's about missions. It's about missions. This is in our DNA. It's who we are. Under Pastor Greg's leadership, more of us know Pastor Greg because we were there with him. We didn't just go to the world. The world came to us. 
the world came to this church. It was under his pastorate that people from multiple nations started converging on this church and were welcomed. And we are who we are in this body, this taste of heaven that we have because of him, because of how God used him. In 2007, we launched our 1027 vision from Luke 1027. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We launched 1027 projects where we committed to give an additional 10% above and beyond our missions pledges to missions projects. 10% of of, of the annual budget, of everything that comes in, not the annual budget, but of, of, of all the tithes and offerings that come in. Which brings us to a rough estimate is about 20% of our budget is going out towards missions. We continue to be the same. And as we look over the history, God set a plumb line up. And over the course of the history of this church, with all of the ups and all of the downs, because we've had our share of downs and trials, God has always brought us back to the, way, the main purpose and the main mission that he brought this church in existence for. His people, the lost and the broken and evangelism. And we've always come back to that. It's never been about a building. It's never been about a pastor. Pastors, they come and go. We've had 12. It's about him. This church does not belong to me. It does not belong to the pastors. It does not belong to the deacon board. It belongs to him. And if we do our jobs right, we will follow him to where he's taking us. And so as we look at Glad Tidings' amazing history, this church has seen many saved. I think I preached my first sermon in this church like real sermon besides Bible school. Real sermon. Some of you probably remember it painfully. I've seen my kids dedicated in this church. Lori and I ourselves have been in this church about 14 years when you add them all up. You guys have seen marriages in this church. Some of you were raised in this church. Some of you are deacons and and, and, and elders and, and you were in Sunday school here. We've seen people baptized in water. We've seen people baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've seen many dedicated. We've seen many healed. But this is simply a building. It's never been about this building. It's always been about God's mission. And God used this building to accomplish his mission. We can't fit anymore into this church. We can't go down anymore. We can't really go up. We have 12 parking spaces for 300 people. We're breaking all, all church growth strategy. They don't understand how we can have that. And they ask me, how is that possible? I don't know. Thank God I have a parking space. I'm not sure I'd come. That's terrible. I just said that. I can't even listen to myself preach, so, you know. I don't know how you do it. Anyway, but, man, God is not through with us But as a committee, as we look at this, this is an older building. And we feel like God is saying to us, guys, the church, the building's season is over. But I am not. And my mission and my purpose is not. And so while we can look at that and be sad to a degree, and we understand that and go, man, it's such a good, I'll never knock this, I love this, but it's a beautiful building. But God's mission is bigger than this building. We live in the most unreached, unchurched area of of, of the United States. We've got to do more. And if a building is hindering people from coming, like a hundred people, that's not okay. 
The temptation could be for me as a pastor, honestly, to go and find a new building is not something that I'm excited about because that's a lot of work in addition to everything else we're doing. We could sit back. We could say, you know, but hey, I'm saved. I made it. I'm here. I like my comfort. I like the fact that we're this size. I don't really want to get too big. But the goal is not big. The goal is his kingdom. Let God send him where he wants to send him. Let God do what he wants to do. But let's just be effective. Let's make sure that this doesn't keep us from growing. But see, it would be selfish if we sat back and said, because I'm comfortable, because I'm okay, because I know everybody, I don't want things to change. And so God says, no, I have placed you here. Just as Moses was born in Egypt for the mission that he had, that he wouldn't start until he was 80. So this church has been placed in this place at this time for this season. You have been placed in this place at this time for this season. The most important thing that we can do as a church right now is to make sure that we're not following anybody else or any agenda other than God's. We need to make sure that we are hearing Him. We don't know what this looks like. All we know is that we feel like God is saying, the time for this building is over. So we need to pray. We need you to pray for us. This is scary. Like Joshua, we're terrified too. But we're excited. And we recognize that this is about God. We want to see the lost found. We want to see the brokenhearted healed. We want to see God move in our community, not just Quincy, but the whole South Shore. God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. And I believe God is saying to us, glad tidings, the season of this building is over. Now get ready to go and inherit the land that I'm going to give you, to go and get and receive the building that I'm going to give you. And I want to challenge you to be in prayer about this. This whole series, we're doing a whole series on get ready. We're going to go through the whole passage of, 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 of Joshua and how they crossed the Red Sea. We're going to talk about the nervousness. We're going to talk about the fear. We're going to talk about the impossible situations because they faced all of it. And God didn't keep them from facing the impossible. But it was in the midst of the impossible that he would show them who he was. He would show his power. Do you realize that when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, every trial that they faced, God led them to. They were following a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. God led them to water that was bitter. Why? To educate them on who he was and who he is. Every trial in our lives, God can lead us to and say, hey, this is who I'm going to show myself to you in the midst of this trial. That's why James says, consider it pure joy because we face trials of many kinds because our faith is being matured in who God is. I can promise you something. We're going to face trials. Because God is not interested in building a new building. He's interested in building his people and in building his church. And because he loves us, he's going to show us who he is. But we're going to have to step out in obedience after him. And what that looks like, we have to trust God for. Would you stand to your feet this morning? It's about people. It's about souls. It's about the lost. It's about the hurting. That's who God has called us to. It's not about programs. It's not about comfort. It's not about things that we like and niceties. It's about people. 
and time is running short. And we have to get as many people as we can to Christ. I want to challenge you. See, this mission isn't just a corporate mission. What are you doing? I'm challenged by Lisa having 100 people in Bible study. What are you doing? What are you doing to bring the lost and the hurting to Christ? What's keeping you from moving it, from moving forward? Are there areas and things in your life maybe that you've elevated above God? Maybe things that you find security in. Maybe things that God has given you. Maybe it's a position or a job or maybe it's a person. And maybe because you're looking at that and you're so focused on your own security that it's actually preventing you from moving forward where God wants to lead you and take you. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in God or is your confidence in, in a thing? Or somebody else. God wants to move us forward. But this is not just a corporate journey. This is an individual journey. It comes down to where are you? Where are you with God? Where are you in your walk with him? Where are you in your faith? And where he wants to take you. This isn't a leadership thing. This is a church thing. Two million Israelites had to walk into a flooding Jordan River. Because God said go. I want to be the church that God has called us to be. I'm not interested in pastoring a complacent church. I'm not interested in sitting still. I'm not here sitting out until I can retire at some point. I want to move forward. I want to be the church that God has called us to be. I want to be the pastor. I want to be the man. I want to be the husband, the father that God wants me to be. As imperfect as I am. But we've got to pray. We've got to hear God. And then we need to pray that we have the courage to go where he tells us to go. Pray for your leadership. Pray for me. Pray for your staff that God will speak to us and pray for this body that we can be effective. Amen? Amen. Are you ready? Yeah, after that, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Are you ready? Well, Jesus, we come before you. We thank you, Lord God, that you stepped out of heaven because you saw us in our sickness and in our pain and in our sin. And Lord, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, You didn't want to go to a cross. In fact, you said, if there's any other way, will you take this cup from me? But then you said, but not my will be done, but yours. And you endured a cross and pain and death so that I could live, so that we could live. God, would you speak to us now? We declare again, this church is yours. We don't want to sit back and we don't want to leap forward. We want to move according to your plans and your purposes. Will you guide every step that we take? That we wouldn't take one step to the right or to the left of your purpose and your plan for us. And would you lead us by your spirit to the place that you have for us? And would you increase the number of this church as a result of us reaching the lost and the hurting for your kingdom? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. God bless. Please be in prayer. Hopefully we'll see some of you Wednesday in Boston. And if there is anyone here that is sick or hurting, we don't want you to leave without us taking time to pray with you. We love you guys. Have a great week.